If you like the sweet science, get ready to talk boxing on the Gloved Fist podcast with top boxing writers Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. Frank, a former amateur boxer out of Philadelphia, writes for NY Fights and can be seen on the Boxing Channel. Jack, an amateur boxer who competed in the New York Golden Gloves, was a six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association. And now, here's Frank Letirzo and Jack Hirsch. And we're back. Welcome to Glove Fist, the best listen and learn on boxing on the internet, on YouTube, on Roku, anywhere else. My name is Frank Letirzo, former fighter, part-time writer, full-time observer, and I am joined by former six-term president of the Boxing Writers Association of America, Jack Hirsch. Jack, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Frank. I don't know if you're young enough. Did you ever see the Ed Sullivan show? Yes, Ed I Sullivan did. would always come on at the beginning and say, we have a really big show today. Big show. Ed Sullivan, he was a member of the Boxing Writers Association of America. A lot of people don't know that. So he was actually involved with that. I knew that. He's the guy that introduced Joe Lewis to golf. Oh, I don't know. Should Lewis have been mad at him? Lewis would gamble on <laughs> his golf game and... I heard he lost quite a bit. All right, Jack, we have a lot to cover tonight. There was a big heavyweight card. There's a potential pretty big fight signing. I know you were at the heavyweight card, but I got a, I got a question for you that I want to start off with, and I didn't prep you for this. You're a smart guy. You're going to rub it in about Canelo being made. You know a lot about boxing. How could you get that so wrong when Yahoo... ESPN and Ring Magazine all pick Canelo Fire of the Year. That was the easiest pick out there. The floor is yours. They did. You know, I felt like a candidate. You have all these people at the rallies for you, but it doesn't translate to votes. I think it's the old axiom in a way that activity counts, okay? That Canelo fought three times during the year. Yusuf fought once. I think everyone agrees Yusuf's one victory was bigger than any single victory Canelo had. But Canelo, I would agree. Fight. But Canelo did fight three times. And, and if you I'll count Callum Smith the year before, it was four times in 11 months. I got to be honest about it. I don't like giving the fight of the year award to someone who only fought one time. I was thinking of the pandemic it being a little bit of an aberration, not holding it against fighters. Uh, Yusuf was basically the runner-up in most people's minds. But I was thinking a little while ago, if let's say if we took Canelo out of the equation. I know where you're going to go. I know where you're going to go. Canelo getting it right. I mean, compare George Cambosis' victory over Teofimo Lopez to U6 over Anthony Joshua. And I can argue that Cambosis beat a better quality fighter, arguably, right? The guy Joe, who beat Loma. Jack, you know, after we had all those conversations, I thought about that. And I thought for a second, let's forget about Canelo. The three fights is really what separated him. I think that's why it was unanimous. However, if you take him off, as you said, Cambosa beat a better guy. He beat a pound-for-pound pound guy 
and Lopez, who got there because he beat Lomachenko when Lomachenko was breezing through. And other than Crawford, there was nobody that had an argument over him pound for pound. Whereas Joshua, even at his best in 2017, when he had most of the hype, he was never a pound for pound guy. I know it's hard for a heavyweight, but he was still fine. never quite had that cachet. Heavyweights are normally disrespected on pound yes. on lists. That's why they call it uh, pound for pound. Even my own publication, Boxing News, they had Canelo as the fight of the year, but they put down Usyk missed out by one vote, you know, amongst their inner staff, you know, in the office over there. And, uh, you know, so kudos to you, Frank. So you nailed it basically. With but, Canelo. Jack, you know what it was? Canelo was just such a popular – we were talking before the show. He's the most high-profile boxer, fighter in combat sports. And then when he goes in front of the public three times, granted, not, not one of his victories was as impressive as Usyk beating Joshua. But the fact that he was in front of the public three times, he unified a belt that Tony or, or um, Roy Jones never did. It was never done at that weight. And the fact that he showed improvement, he kept his sport in the mainstream during a year that was really few and far between big fights. I really think that's what aided him. So, look, that's I'm in the sure book. He showed improvement, Frank. I'm not sure, and this has nothing to do with him earning the award. Right. He said he showed improvement, continued to develop more into a great fighter. I saw him struggle with Caleb Plant. A guy I thought he was going to totally dominate. That was a tough fight for him. Is it possible Canelo is on the decline? I don't think yet. I can see why you could say he struggled a little bit. But, Jack, let's face it. Canelo is most troubled by guys that put a jab in his face, pick their feet up, and they move. And that's what Plant did. And that's why I'm saying, you know, a lot of people want to see him fight Benavidez. They picked out some other guys, even some light heavyweights. I believe with Canelo and Terrence Crawford, there are two extreme parallels, but they're divergent. Canelo, when we see him lose next, odds are he's going to be outboxed more than he's going to be beaten up. Where I think Terrence Crawford can't be outboxed, I think when we see him lose, it's going to be by a guy that can really put some hurt on him and take him out of his game. So, but I think Canelo, he still got the job done. He shows me he cuts the ring off a little bit better. He's very, very hard to hit. So I do think he has improved a lot, a ton since Mayweather, and even some since the Golovkin fight. Well, even though he earned the fight of the year award, he earned it, you know, and I'll I give him his due completely, you know, and you're calling it as a fight of the year. He still picks his spots. He does. Picks his spots. There are three names out there that would pose a genuine threat. Benavides, Andrade, and Bedabeev. And I don't think he's going to fight any of them in the next year. I think he's going to look towards a, a third fight with Golovkin, one I think in which he, we both agree he's he's going to win decisively. I hope not. And then, and then well, it, it's going to go over good, well with the public. Unfortunately, they're not like you and I, the average fan. Right. Wants to see Canelo and Golovkin. They're going to get excited about it. We won't, but it's what is. Uh, 
Wouldn't it Let be me just if Mayweather came out of retirement, you know, uh, needed the money so badly and convinced himself he could get in shape. What's Mayweather, 44? And he decided to take on Canelo, but Mayweather would insist he's the A side. He's got to get a 70-30 split. And Canelo be, would be so anxious to avenge the loss, he'd figure 30% is a hell of a lot of money. I'm going to call this bluff. I'm going to take it. And you're talking about a fight that could mean a few hundred million for Mayweather. Right. Canelo, I, Jack, I don't. I think Mayweather's... 150 million. Mayweather's too smart for that. But let me touch on Canelo with what you just said. You mentioned Peter Beef, Benavides, and Andrade. Let me take, let me just take one of them for a second. To me, now look, I've taken a lot of heat the last couple of weeks because guys think I'm an, a, a Canelo apologist. I'm not. I like that he unified the title. He is a cherry picker to a degree, but what what saved him this time is the fact that he picked cherry cherry picked guys that had a title that were undefeated. But to me. Before I hear him talk about going up to light heavyweight to fight Bivol or Better Beef or bringing Charlo or Andrade up to him, you know what he has to do? He still, he may have all the belts. He has not cleaned out the 168-pound division. And Benavides is still there. And let's face it, wouldn't Benavides be a favor over everybody he beat to unify the title? I think he would. I think before Canelo even flirts with going up with Better Beef or Bivol or Joe Smith or anybody, I think he needs to fight Benavides and just clear that last hurdle at 168. Yeah, but I, you know, but I think Canelo, when I asked him last Saturday about who he wants to fight next, I believe him. I don't think he analyzes it. He leaves it up to his trainer mentor, Eddie Reynoso, to make all those decisions. I think he'll fight whoever Reynoso tells him to. I mean, now there's this crazy talk about a catch weight, you know, Usyk going down to fight Canelo. I mean, Usyk going back down to cruiserweight. I mean, I he'd be favored to beat Canelo because Usyk, remember, came up from cruiserweight as an all-time great cruiserweight, you know, champion. Right. So, uh, but listen, yeah, but... Uh, that's you know, never going to happen, Jack. Let me just say right now, and I think you agree with me. We will never see Canelo Alvarez fight Alexander Usyk. That will never happen. I, I doubt it. I think it's just talk. Okay, Frank, there was this show uh, last Saturday. I was ringside, and you were uh, in the uh, Hollywood Hard Rock cat, uh, Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. I saw, and I got a big chuckle out of you getting a pay-per-view of that and apologizing. Don't apologize, Frank. It was worth it because the college national championships are played Friday night. The NFL was Sunday. It's New Year's Day. It was boring towards the evening. Now, if you tune on the fights that were for free on Fox and then the pay-per-view event, it's entertainment and $40 it's not a ripoff in this day and age. If they were going to charge you $80 for, you know, Luis Ortiz and Charles Martin, but it, they turn out on balance to be a, a pretty good show. Luis Ortiz, 42 years old, getting outboxed by Ch Charles Martin, dropped twice. Uh, power prevailed. They say the last thing a fighter loses is his punch. 
And in this, I don't know whether I agree with that completely, but in this case, it was true. Ortiz's power turned it around and kept his career alive. Jack, you know, it's funny how that how that came to be. Okay. I was terrible picking the college playoff games. I had both dogs to cover. They both got mutilated. And I was in a pool. Saturday, I was in a pool. We had six games and I was getting killed. And I was flipping through the channels and I saw Martin fight. And that knockout was so sensational. I thought, wow, there's a new player at lightweight. So I thought, you know what? I need a diversion from football. I said, I'm going to buy the fight. I have a little intrigue in it. And like you said, look, is it the best card ever? No, but there were a lot of knockdowns. We saw a little bit of the glimpse of what some of the future looks like. I think from watching all five of those fights, I think it's pretty clear why Fury, Usyk, Wilder, and probably even Joshua don't have too much to worry about with what's behind them. Well, well, we got to talk about one fight. The names of viewers aren't going to recognize, but it was the opening of the five pay-per-view fights. Victor Faust against uh, Igor Cal Calzade. And what a fight. Faust scores a heavy favorite, scores a knockdown early in the fight. And you think it's all over because he's the heavy favorite. And, he, and this, this was a heavy knockdown. Then he gets knocked down heavily. And before, before the end of the first round. He knocks Kilzadi down heavily. Second round begins. Kilzadi knocks Faust down heavily. Then Faust knocks Kilzadi down heavily. Kilzadi gets up. He's shaken, but I think he can continue. But I think what happened when the referee, Sammy Burgos, asked him to come towards him, Kilzadi kind of just backed up. You know, sometimes that's how you regroup a little. You take a couple of steps back, not really thinking to go forward. And Burgo stopped the fight. The people hated it. I can understand the stoppage. I'm not condemning the ref. But I thought it was early in the fight. So I don't feel the fighters were entering any danger zone like later in the fight. You know, they, they were heavy knockdowns, but it wasn't like they were taking a beating. But it was such a rock'em sack fight. It was like... It was like stopping the Foreman Lyle fight in a way before the control. Good example, yes. Yeah. Jack, I felt the same way as you did. We had a little exchange during that. In the heat of the moment, I felt that it was a quick hook. I know the protocol. I don't have a problem with it. I thought it was a quick hook. If I, had, if I was in there, I wouldn't have stopped it. But let me just say this. I don't know if I told you this or not. But I would be a terrible referee because I would let fights go on too soon. Because the last thing I would want, this is me, is for a fighter to come up, up to me and say, you know what, Latirzo, I wasn't hurt. You robbed my career. You took a chance away from me for a title shot, for money and whatnot. And I don't want to have that on me. So I would not be a good referee. I will say that. I've always said that. But in the moment... I go by how you felt at that time. The same thing with my scoring. Don't give me how you scored the fight two days later when you know the result. How'd you feel that time? Because that's a decision the referee had to make. I don't think I would have made it, but I'm not going to rip. I'm not going to rip the referee. But but, but but in fairness to the referee too, even though I was reporting on the fight, I was covering the show for Boxing News. You get caught up in the moment like a fan. Like I was like on the edge of my seat. There was a big smile on my face. 
this was the greatest possible entertainment. It was like it was for Hollywood. What entertainment? And the people don't want to have the plug pulled from that entertainment. It was like sensational stuff. Speaking of a quick, a quick turn around the main event. So what, what did you think of the Ortiz Martin fight? Which Ortiz behind on points, knocked down twice, stopped Martin in the sixth round. I thought Ortiz showed a lot of age. Like Joe Goosen said, he was dropped by a jab. He seldom gets hit with jabs. And I saw his legs. He has the legs of an older guy. I didn't think his instincts and reflexes looked that good. And I think he's one or two fights away from being counted out. Martin, I thought, was actually fighting a smart fight at that time. If you notice what he did was he'd slow the pace down and then he'd attack Ortiz because he had the quicker hands and he'd catch him with those lead shots and he did hurt him. In the end, Ortiz showed he summoned great courage and reserve and he finished him once he hurt him. We know Ortiz can punch. He can still punch. He's still a pretty good counter puncher. He knows what he's doing, but I do think at the end of the day, it was more of a case of Martin just not quite being up to par than Ortiz being so good. I don't. I would give Ortiz no shot against any of the top three or four heavyweights. Well, speaking of stoppages, did you think referee Frank Santor should have stopped it a little early? Because Martin was in control, but then he gets hit one big left hook, and he was out on his feet but standing still like frozen a sitting duck it's not like his legs were wobbly he was just frozen standing there arms down and it happened so quick out of the clear blue i can understand the ref not stopping it okay i i, I agree with that I and at the same time i thought it was a little bit quick in the moment with martin yes you think that, he, that when he first got knocked up, right before he got knocked down the first time, yes, he was battering Martin. You thought when he had, when he was caught on the ropes, I still would have given him a chance because I thought he looked like he got up and he recovered. He wasn't falling all over. Okay. He seemed that he was annoyed. But you I know how it is, Lee. Those guys, the heavyweights, that get in there, they can all punch. I think it scares them a little bit, and I think sometimes they overreact to be on the safe side. Yeah, in attendance at that show in Hollywood, Florida, was Canelo Alvarez. He was there to see his stablemate, heavyweight Frank Sanchez, a Cuban who's 20 and 0, 13 stoppages in his career. Canelo was bold by saying, one year from now, Frank Sanchez is going to be the world heavyweight champion. Does he mean he'll get a belt because the, the sanctioning body's overambitious and they want to strip someone? But Canelo feels no one is going to beat Frank Sanchez a year from now, which brings us up to the alternate heavyweights you want to talk about tonight. Uh, Let me just say this about what Canelo said, Lee. I think that's a little over-opportunistic. I don't think Sanchez gets off a night. I don't think he had a great night. I don't think the fight should have went the distance. I can see why they like him. I think he's a good boxer. He has good fundamentals. He puts his punch. He puts his punches together pretty good, but I don't. I don't think that was a banner showing on his part. And yeah, as well, long as Fury and Usyk are around, I don't think Sanchez gets the title. Let's talk about the heavyweight division, eliminating the following three guys: the three big dogs were Fury, 
and the Yusik Joshua winner. Yusik or Joshua, whoever loses the fight, is going to join the, the lower path next Right. Time, okay? But the winner is going to be in the elite too. But because they haven't fought the rematch yet, let's call them the big three. Fury, Yusik, and Joshua. What about but Wilder? Let, well, no, well, Wilder's not quite on the level. He's not on the Fury level quite yet. And the only reason... Wait a second, Jack, wait a second. After his last showing against Fury, who would you pick to beat him? Anthony Joshua wouldn't beat him. Yusuf could be beating him and get knocked out. I think Wilder showed a lot of heart, a lot of courage, and that power okay. is for real. Okay, but that's the point I'm trying to get to, Frank. Uh, we'll talk about the rest of the guys, and you can put Wilder at the head of the pack. Like I said, if Joshua loses, Joshua has to fight with Yusuf. Right. Okay. It's probably, you know, it's probably the odds are going to be less than two to one. Okay. My thought is U6 going to be a slight favorite. You know, that's, that's my thought with the odds, regardless of how we think it's going to go now. But Fury stands there and U6 is fighting Joshua. So those are the big three right now in the heavyweight division. They stand out because Joshua has the big mega fight. Wilder can't get a rematch with uh, Fury right now. He's not in line for Usyk and Joshua. The Usyk-Joshua winner fights Fury. That's going to tie up the division. That's the point I'm trying to make. Okay, Let's if you go from that angle, I can finish, see it. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let's talk about the group, putting Wilder in there, how they all stack up. And I'm fine with you wanting to put Wilder ahead of the class. Okay. Now. Figuring he'll knock Josh Wild. I'm not arguing with you at all. But let's talk about Dylan White, Joseph Parker, you know, guys like that, Wilder, you know, uh, Andy Ruiz, Jared Anderson, Frank Sanchez. I guess maybe Ortiz is all the way in the back seat of that pack. And let's talk about the rest. I really don't want to talk about who would win between Fury and Usyk. That's totally irrelevant in this discussion. Now, who, who's going to win the rematch between Usyk and Joshua? The rest of the guys, who amongst the trailing pack is going to be a major power player, you think, in about a year from now, let's say, major power player? That's a good question, Jack. I would take I would take Wilder to beat all the guys that we said under him. Dillian White Wilder to beat Frank 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 Sanchez. Now you take a Dillian right. Parker, Dillian White, Andy Ruiz. You know, I think that would be a tough fight, but I would probably favor Wilder because I'm more confident in his conditioning. And I know he'll show up. But, I mean, Ruiz is a tough fight for him. Darryl Ruiz lost me a little bit with Ariola, But uh, so I would say Wilder would be first. And, Jack, after that, I really do think it's a crapshoot to say. Because I could see Sanchez, because he can box and he's good fundamentally, I think that he could beat a lot of those guys. But after Wilder, the same thing I've said countless times about the lightweight division. After Wilder, if you line up all the best heavyweights – I don't think one of them goes undefeated against the field. But a year from now, a year from now, Frank, you you think a year from now Wilder would beat Jared Anderson? You know what, Jack? A year from now. 
When you said Jared Anderson, I'm going to tell you for a second, Big Baby Miller went through my head. I forgot about Jared Anderson. I actually think Big Jared Baby Anderson, Miller. for some reason, I don't know why I thought that because they're nothing alike. Yeah. But I was thinking, I was thinking um, Big Baby for a second. No, Jared Anderson, my mistake. Jared Anderson, I think, is the most skilled young heavyweight out there. And I, I, I think if they move him right, he may be the guy with the best future, but I want to see him in with somebody that's coming to win with some ability. Because what I don't like about Jared Anderson is he throws his punches like nothing's ever going to come back at him. And at the level he's fought, it hasn't. But we know that's going to change when he gets up there. But based on your, based on your outline, Jared Anderson may have the best future of those guys. But I would keep him away from Wilder. Right. Yeah, right. Because they're alternate opponents. I think Fury fights Dylan White. I think they're hemming and hawing right now to get the best deals that they can. Because he has to fight someone. And then Usyk fights Joshua. The thought is that Usyk is more likely than not is going to win that rematch. And that'll put it in line, Usyk and Fury. But I'll tell you, Frank... I hope we don't get these two fight deals. I hate them with a passion because it ties up the heavyweight division. It's really unfair to the other contenders that you have and that you have to beat a guy twice. You know, Otto Wallen was supposed to fight Dillian White. Dillian White pulled out, but it was in the contract that Otto Wallen, you know, had to give him a rematch if he beat him. So basically, it comes down to this. I got to beat him twice. He only has to beat me once. I mean, I just... That, that was the case with Bevekin and White. Frank, talking about heavyweights, okay? Uh, our anniversary fight. Okay? Jack, before you go there, I want to touch on one thing. The card that I bought that you were at Saturday night, there was a grudge match on there. Johnny Wright, Rice and Michael Coffey. Now, we're both friends with Randy Gordon. We know he was involved with Michael Coffey for a while. He talked him up. There's no doubt the kid can punch. But, Jack, that was a horrible showing. Johnny Rice was 15 pounds heavier, out of shape, telegraphed everything he did, and Michael Coffey couldn't put it together in any facet of boxing. He was all over the place. He switched from southpaw to right-handed. He had no clue, and I just can't believe, with a guy who was on the cusp of making a name for himself and had revenge on his mind, said he couldn't sleep since losing to Rice. I couldn't believe his showing was so bad. After watching Michael Coffey fight, here's what I come away with between Rice and Coffey. Rice, if he gets in shape, has a little something. He could make some money and score an upset, perhaps. Michael Coffey should go to school and be a bodyguard and learn how to shoot because he's in the wrong field. Big, strong, imposing, not a good boxer, not real fast. And unless you stand there and pose for him, he can't even deliver his power. I was very, very disappointed in that fight. I expected more after reading him talk. And I just thought to myself, this is why Joshua Fury, Usyk, and Wilder really are the cream of the crop and the Ali Frazier foreman and Norton and Lyle of that of this era. I can tell you a funny thing about the uh, Johnny Rice-Michael Coffey fight. 
I'm sitting next to Santos Perez, the boxing writer for the Miami Herald. And I forgot the round. It was the fourth or the fifth. Johnny Rice goes back to his corner. Now, Michael Coffey was coming on at, you know, certain intervals. I know you're going to say not a lot, but now and then. He was landing some good blows, had a good round. Johnny Rice slumps on his stool sideways like he's exhausted, like he wants to fall on his face. And I'm watching him, okay? And I say to Santos Perez, he will not last two more rounds. Take my word on it. And, of course, you know, then he's... Around later, he started dominating, and he was the stronger of the two guys. But his body language at one point was so terrible. It was Michael Coffey who just didn't have the zip. Michael Coffey actually had a nice little cheering section at ringside, and they were trying to pick him up, pick him up. But over the last three rounds, it was like, it was like the team was down 21 points, and they didn't have the ball. There wasn't that much to cheer about at that point. But if you want to take a silver lining out of it, he went the distance. He got stopped last time. So, you know, I mean, I think the effort was there. I just think Johnny Rice is a little more talented, a little better. And Johnny Rice, you know, he went and came in the ring with a 14-6-1 record. And he has more talent than that. You know, should any heavyweight weight 285? That's the question. Jack, that's a good point. That's something we'll hit on down the road in 2022. But we can talk about some of these bigger heavyweights because I'm of the opinion that if you're 6'3 and you're 225, you are plenty big enough to fight any heavyweight around. Fury is the anomaly. But if you look at the weight of those guys in the 270s and 280s, obviously those heavy muscles, they can't carry him for more than four or five rounds. It doesn't give you any more power. It's just in boxing, power is not the be-all and strength is not the be-all. You have to know how to fight. Michael Coffey doesn't know how to fight. Johnny Rice has a clue. Let's stay on the heavyweights, Frank, with our anniversary fight. And one guy, everyone agrees, was a hell of a fight and all-time great was Joe Lewis. Uh, and that's our anniversary fight, Joe Lewis against John Henry Lewis. I'll tell you, I was talking to my buddy, who I consider the greatest boxing historian in the world. I always go to him when I want to get knowledge, historical knowledge, things to get educated, because you can never learn enough. Uh, John Henry Lewis, one of the most underrated fighters, champions, I think, of all time. Now, he's known for the Joe Lewis fight, that fight January 1939, where he got knocked out in one round in Madison Square Garden. That was an historical fight, Frank, because John Henry Lewis was the first light heavyweight champion in history. The challenge for the heavyweight title. And what slipped my mind, and I didn't realize, that was the first heavyweight championship fight that involved two black fighters. Now, the story was that John Henry Lewis, this was my impression, and it, I was so wrong, was on his last legs. You know, Lewis did his buddy a favor by giving him a shot at the title, and he knocked him out in one round, you know, to basically get him out of his misery. But I'm going to tell you something. That was John Henry Lewis's 117th fight of his professional career. It was the first time he was stopped. People remember, for example, another great light heavyweight. Billy Michael Spinks. 
Right. Well, uh, yeah, that's the analogy was there too. Right. The last fight. But Spinks didn't have as long a career as John Henry, but he couldn't. It was a different era. Okay. You're right. People, are, that's unfortunately what they mostly might remember about Michael Spinks as a Tyson fight, but they remember the Holmes fight. There's other stuff that they remember about Spinks. They remember how he beat Dwight Muhammad Kawi. I think Spinks has done enough in, the, in as far as right. perception to offset some of that. But Jack, remember, we saw Spinks' career. Guys that didn't right. see John Henry Lewis's career, they look at and they go, oh, yeah, Lewis knocked his buddy out in the first round. John Henry Lewis possessed speed. He could box. He could punch. And I'm going to tell you this. From the few films I've seen of him, and I've always had John Henry Lewis in my top 10 or 12 light heavyweights. He reminds me of Billy Kahn a little bit. The way he uses the ring. The way he can fight in spurts. The way he can move and get around. He he doesn't let many punches go unanswered. Um, but it's a shame that he's remembered for the Lewis fight. But Jack, if you look at who he fought. Look, look at the guys he beat. He beat Braddock. He beat Rosenblum. He won the title from Owen. He beat Tiger Jack Fox, Al Etor, Red Berman, Joe Lewis opponents, Johnny Risco, Elmer Ray, Willie Reddish, Fred Lionheart, Jimmy Adamick, Eddie Sims. He beat a lot of good guys. He had five fights, I believe, with Maxie Rosenblum. He went two and three. He is definitely lost in the shuffle because of the Lewis fight. But he was going blind in one eye too, and I and, and they were about to take the title away from him, and that's why they rushed the fight, and that's why Lewis got gave him the shot. But you know, I went back and I read some paper, some paper newspaper articles on it, and the guys that were there, Jack, I was surprised. They said he was terrified before the fight. Even Lewis said that when they shook hands at the weigh-in, he knew he was terrified. And that kind of surprised me a little bit. As great as Lewis was and as dangerous as he was, I was a little surprised at that. But then again, I, I forget who wrote it at the time. But he said that Lewis's punches back then, there's just no way anybody could stand up to his punches. And here's a guy that was outweighed by 20 pounds. And he just wasn't big enough or built to take the shots that Lewis could put on him. I love talking about Joe Lewis, Jack. He is just so much fun. There's so much to him. And he did what he was supposed to do. He got rid of a guy who was outstanding, but just not in his league. Yeah. I, and But the thing with John Henry Lewis, he I didn't realize he was a phenom. He turned pro at 16, at age 19, 20. He was beating the guys you mentioned, like Jimmy Braddock, Maxie yep. Rosenblum. And he retired. He had a 10-year career. So his career really wasn't that long, per se. But He, he had 51 non-title fights as champion, Jack. He fight a month for his career. And he would... And just the idea, when we think of these young phenoms, who comes to mind normally would be a Wilfred Benitez type, you know, who beats Cervantes at age 17. Something about these young phenoms, they don't have the career that goes into their 30s. They no, seldom. Slowing down in their mid-20s. I even remember a guy who was a contender, not in that league. If I, he's a trainer now in Vegas, Bones Adams. He fought Orlando Canizales for one of the titles. I remember him. He was like a phenom at age 17 where they, the Madison Square Garden Boxing Department signed him. 
And by the time these guys get to be 22, 23, they're seasoned veterans. They've been through the mill in a way. You know, Look at Canelo. He turned pro at 15. He has 60 fights. Another one. Exactly. Yeah, Canelo. Yeah, Canelo, I think, is going to be a little bit of an aberration there. You know, maybe he's built to last, you know, a little more. You know, that's just my thought because my impression on Canelo, and I don't want to, this isn't a Canelo segment, but this guy's completely dedicated to boxing. He hasn't lost interest, Canelo. You know, it's it, you know what the fight is doing, especially in this day and age, Frank. If you don't have a fight coming up, you know, you don't train. They might train a couple of months for fight, but by, they might do nothing for the two months before that. So they come to training camp out of shape. But a fighter like Canelo, you get the feeling he's dedicated all around. Single a lot of guys need to use the training camp to get their weight down, where guys like Canelo, Hopkins, Trinidad, other guys that were always in shape, Mosley, they didn't do that. They went to camp and they got better or hopefully tried to get better. Yes, Canelo is of that ilk. And I think he'll last for a while because he really hasn't taken much punishment other than the two Golovkin fights. He really hasn't had many wars. So I think he'll pace himself. I think he'll be around for a while. And again, he's going to pick his spots. But back to John Henry Lewis. I really do think he was a complete boxer. And I think when you look at his record and resume, he has to be considered one of the top 10 or 12 all-time great light heavyweights. How about, Frank, if I tell you top five? His record was one, 101 wins, 11 losses, five draws, 57 stoppages. Uh, you know, going into the Lewis fight, you mentioned he was scared to death. My impression all these years was, until I looked at his record carefully, was John Henry Lewis was probably on the downside of his career towards the end. That wasn't the case. Going into the Joe Lewis fight, he'd won 16 in a row. He'd won right. one out of 32. He wasn't on a losing streak. He a nice winning streak. He was a winning fighter. And I could argue that he was in his prime when he fought Lewis, except, you know, if he had a problem with the eye, you know, Obviously, that could throw you off. And they were going to, and they were about to take his license away. That's why they had to rush that fight. Well, he tried yeah. after to fight Len Harvey in England, and he didn't pass the medical. Right. John Henry Lewis. Okay, I'm not arguing top five. We we kind of have to analyze that. There's so many great light heavyweights. Off the top of your head, does he beat Archie Moore? Off the top of my head, yeah. Yeah, well, as great as Archie Moore was. Archie Moore's greatness was built on longevity. His ID card was he can fight into an advanced age greater than other fighters, greater than even than, than the Sugar Ray Robinson, for example. That was Bernard Hopkins's legacy to fight so well into an advanced age. You know that is part of it. All right, I disagree yeah. with you. I think more beats him. How about Ezra Charles? Ezra Charles, Just real quick. As a Charles beats them all. Michael Spinks. I've got. To, I haven't. I've got. To, I, I'd have to study the tapes over there. Right. My, you know, Michael Spinks would be hard to beat. But Bob Foster. Uh, no, he doesn't beat Bob. Har Harold Johnson. 
I don't know. Those are toss-up fights, Frank. Okay, and, and then we can go Billy Kahn. We could go Harry Greb if we count. If we count, well, we count right, as a light heavyweight. heavyweight. I, I, I think he can get. I can get him in the top ten, not the top five. I mean, listen, Greb was really a middleweight who beat light heavyweights. I could listen if I said to you hypothetically, Gene Tunney was the greatest light heavyweight of all time. You might say you think of him as a heavyweight. But he did. I don't, Jack. But you're right. A lot of people. A lot of people do. Um, he only had three or four. He beat heavyweights, but he only had three or four marquee fights at heavyweight. I think. I think uh, Tony's up there. They'll hold it against him that he never won the title. But he is. He is in the money, Tony. With he's a top, he's probably a top five guy. I don't believe any light heavyweight, you know, in history. Beats as a Charles at as its peak. Okay, that would be my thought. Listen, as it as a Charles beat Charlie Burley when Burley was at his best. And Lloyd Marshall, right? Hardest in boxing history. Charles beat him. I can't say for sure that Sugar Ray Robinson would have beaten Burley at his best. You know, or had he done it, it would have been a, a re, it would have been a close fight. I think. I think I would take Robinson, but I, I can see your point. And Charles, if when I had to do the when I ranked the fighters for heavy for Ibro, I did have Charles number one at light heavyweight. It didn't, Charles and that's pretty conclusive. Even though he never won the light heavyweight title, but didn't he beat the murderers row of you know great black? Yes, he he, he had his streak in the forties. Oh, I forget what the number was, but he went through everybody, and he won by stoppage. He was a consummate boxer puncher, and he was another water fighter that could adjust to any style. And he he didn't get a shot at at the late heavyweight title, so he went the heavyweight. Had the head he dominated Archie Moore. Three out of three, and knocked him out in the third fight. You know what the problem is with certain fighters like Ezra Charles? People think of him, unfortunately, as a heavyweight. And my feeling is, when he won the heavyweight title, he defended it something like eight times. I think as a Charles was past his peak at that time, he wasn't this, as the same great fighter he was before. And then he, after beating Jersey Joe Walcott twice, he lost the title getting knocked out with one punch. But then in the fourth fight, a lot of people thought he won. But, you know, but as a Charles, maybe didn't get his due. One guy who I wonder about, sometimes we wonder about fighters, Frank, what they could have become. You know, we can only judge them on what they were. But one of the fighters we could judge both ways to and wonder what would have been had circumstances been different was our fighter spotlight. You want to lead us in with it? James Scott, light heavyweight contender from the late 70s, early 80s. James Scott's from New Jersey. What was incarcerated at Rawway Prison. Got a TV fight with Eddie, the former Eddie Gregory. One on HBO and a big upset, and then fought a lot of the contenders of the set of, of the late seventies, early eighties when that division was stacked. And Scott was a guy who was a pressure fighter, not a big knockout puncher, but he was aggressive. He was always in great shape, and you know he had some good names on his scalp. He beat Eddie. Gregory beat Richie Cates, Bunny Johnson, Jerry Celestine, Yaki Lopez, and then at the end, Jackie runs into Jerry the Bull Martin. 
a Philadelphia fighter who I watched train for the fight, lost the unanimous decision to him, and then he fought. He had one fight, then he fought Dwight Braxton at Rahway. He was also a former guest at Rahway. I trained with Dwight for that fight. He had no trepidation about going in there. Knew he could beat Scott and worked him over pretty good, and that was pretty much no, it no, for no, Scott. That was a reasonably close fight, Frank. I had it six rounds to four for Kyrie. That was a reasonably close fight, and Scott won the last round of that fight. Two of the three judges had it six to three, and one judge had it five to four. Okay, I might be a little prejudiced. I don't. I didn't see any case at all for Scott winning the fight. He did win the last round. the decision. Kyrie deserved the decision. But, it was but when you want to talk about what Scott would have been, you know, I saw an interview with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad. He talked about that fight, and he admitted that Scott beat him that night. Gives him all his due. He, he too, had no problem with going into the uh, Rahway prison to fight him there. And he said it would be tough to try to gauge him, he said, because when he was in prison, all he had to do was train, where if he was in prison, in prison Eddie said that he would be – susceptible to the same shenanigans going outside going on in the streets that I were and he might have been might not have been quite as dedicated and fit. So we don't know, but from what we saw, Jack, the guy was definitely a legit contender in one of the best eras in the history of the division. I'm sure had he been out, he would have definitely got a piece of the title. But I don't see him at the level of Spinks, Quawi, Side, I don't think he would have beat a Bob Foster. Well, James, we Scott, saw that he lost to Jerry Martin, so it's that's probably about where he would have been. I actually, uh, in the late 1980s, for I wrote a story on Scott for Boxing Beat magazine. The editor took me to the Trenton State Prison. This is when his career was over, you know, right? How we fight, they transferred him out. Because supposedly right. they felt it wouldn't be good to have him there. That'd be like a negative influence and there were jealousies or whatever. But before he went to jail, he'd be, you know, when he was out, you know, when he was based, he was around Miami a lot. He beat Jesse Bennett and Ray Anderson, two light heavyweight contenders. So when you're looking at like his body of work, all the guys he beat, you're talking about Mustafa Muhammad. Yaki He's got Rose. good names. This guy, no, I'm going to tell you something. Had he grabbed the title, you're talking about a potential Hall of Fame resume with the names. My feeling is, Frank, okay, I understand what Mustafa Muhammad said, and I think you support it to a large degree, and I, and I don't disagree, but I'm, also, but I'm also in the mindset is a fight is better off on the outside, not on the inside. You could get much better sparring on the outside. You know, right. the nutrition is better on the outside, how you're going to eat, the hours you keep, the environment, if you're disciplined, if you're disciplined. But, of course, when you're out, you, shenanigans can happen. You could run around and not be dedicated. But if he was going to be dedicated on the outside, he would have been a lot better off as a fighter being on the, uh, on the outside. You know, uh, he was a, you know, he was a pretty intimidating, it was an intimidating place to go to Railway State Prison. Let's face it, I mean, opponents would go in there, you had to have a mentally a tough mindset, and you knew Kari well, I met Kari, I didn't know him at all, you knew him well, you sparred with him, right, the whole bit, bit. 
And Conway was, he was a, a fearless guy. He was a former prisoner himself. Right. So you would think he's used to that environment. He's not going to get phased by it because he's been around it. But someone like myself, if I were fighting, I all, all of a sudden had to go to railway. I might feel comfortable until I actually get there. And then my eyes could start bugging out, you know, the hostility. You might think, am I really safe here? Might they bum rush the guards and get me? You know, you can really Eddie Mustafa said that it wasn't a big deal. He says, because I knew they weren't shutting the door behind me. And I knew I was going to go home. Yeah. Well, if you have that mindset, uh, you know, sure. I mean, definitely. You know, talk Jack, that was such a tough error. It would have been really interesting to see how James Scott would have panned out. Because as you said, the way you framed it, I like that. When you go back and you think if he had a title and you look at the names he beat, he did beat some really good guys on the way up. Mm -hmm. And he did that. A lot of that, Jack, was with his condition, though. He did outwork them down the stretch. He he could lose early rounds, but he would track them down and get them. And it's funny. He showed his diversity because if you remember when he fought Kwawi, he fought as the boxer. He was the guy that was moving and countering and retreating, and Kwawi was walking him down. So there's a guy that knew that as tough as I am, this is the one guy I don't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with because I'll be playing into his hands. Okay, so, yes or no, Frank? If James Scott never went to prison, didn't get involved with that bungled robbery attempt where he was the driver, whatever, I forgot the whole story. Because he wasn't. And he got a, it. Right. Didn't he get. He got a hung jury on, on a murder trial, right? Something. But James Scott, what, I think he was an accessory with someone else. Right. But I, I'd have to go back and look at that. But talking about his fighting, had he not gone to jail, okay? Let's say he was on the outside looking at all the big names he beat. Yes or no, would he have become a world champion? And you know if he was getting a title shot, he would train his rear end off on the outside. I can't imagine him getting complacent if he has a chance to be a world champion. Had he not well, I, I don't want to assume that, Jack, but look, he beat Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, who went on to win the title. So I'm going to say he would have, he would have definitely got it. He would have won a piece of the title. Yeah, that, that's my feeling on it. But James Scott died some year, passed away some years back. You know, sad story, you know, like uh, what happened. I met him, I think, 1988 to do a story. And it left an impression on me. And he, 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 was, a, he was a pleasant man, you know, talking from his jail cell there. You right. Know? So, Jack, think about this. We're highlighting Scott, a guy who made his name in prison. Think about two other guys that were probably two of the best prospects, at least that I've seen, and they threw it away and end up going to prison. And one was from this area, Tony Ayala and Ike Bayabuchi. I mean, I, Ayala was a killer back in the amateurs. I was one fight away from fighting him. The guy that beat me, he beat. He was a killer. And the Bayabuchi, if you think about this, he only had 20 fights, but two of those wins, he stopped Chris Bird when nobody could touch Bird, and he went pretty much toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tua, who I believe is the biggest single-shot puncher since prime George Foreman, and Abayabuchi outboxed him. Even though I, I had Tua winning the fight 6-5, six 6-5-1, six 
he fought him right there. So those two wins alone say a lot about a bad Bucci. And again, wasted his talent like Scott. Only Scott got a little more out of his. I'm not as high on those guys as fighters as you might be. Don't get me wrong. I think had Tony Ayala not gone to jail, had he fought Davey Moore instead of Duran, he would have obliterated Davey Moore. No ifs or buts about well, it. that we agree. Right, but I'm kind of wonder, had he fought Roberto Duran, and we know how cagey Duran is, how well he boxes, I don't see Ayala, with, had Duran been in shape, trained hard, which he would have, I don't see him walking through Duran. I see Duran giving him fits, and, I, and good chance of beating Tony Ayala. Good chance. Jack, all I can do is speak to how I felt back then. I was a big Duran fan, and I did not want to see them fight because I was afraid Ayala was going to beat him. I was pretty high on Ayala. I agree. He beats Davey Moore. I think the 83 version of Duran – I think he would have beat, I think the two guys that would have been his Waterloo were Hearns and Hagler. I don't think he, he doesn't go with those two guys, but I think short of those two guys. Sugar Ray Leonard. He wouldn't have prime Sugar Ray Leonard beats Tony Ayala. He, he knocks him out in the second half of the fight. That's, you know, my feeling there. Prime Sugar Ray Leonard. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I would picture Ray Leonard to beat him. I'm not sure he knocks him out. I think it's a tougher fight for Ray than you're saying. I think the pressure and the strength of Ayala could give Ray some problems. But well, Ray's I, an all-time great, so I'm going to definitely favor him. But I think Ayala, I think Ayala would have made a hell of a mark in the junior middleweight division back then. Well, he would have moved up to middleweight. and Eventually. Listen, I get the feeling with Ayala, he dominated his fights. I get the feeling if he was in a real give-and-take war, you could frustrate him. You really can make him lose his cool. He'd become, you know, outraged in the ring, and that would be his, uh, his undoing. Listen, I could tell you a great fight, and I'm not sure who would have won. John DeBeast Mugabe at his best against the Yaler. What a fight. I could see a Yaler maybe stopping Mugabe early in an absolute war, perhaps. But... You know, Mugabe would be in with a real shot. In the Tell fight. you what, Mugabe before the Hagler fight, I'll take Mugabe. Yeah. I think that style favors in that matchup. I like Mugabe. I don't like a yellow against guys that throw hard straight shots. Guys that want to hook with them, like I think Duran would have, I think he can live with those. But the guys that have an outside game that are going to walk him into their right hand, Mugabe and Hearns, I think they're the tough matchups for Ayala. Well, I'll give you a couple of fights Ayala would have won by knockout. They would have matched him, Kathy. Terry Norris, who wouldn't have had the chin to survive. I think early knock, quick knockout for Ayala. That's my feeling. And I, kind of, Julian, I kind of agree with that. Julian Jackson, if you talk about one-punch power, you know, one of the great one-punch hitters of all time. But I think Ayala absorbs that more of a complete fighter, gets Jackson out of there. What a fight and that would have been. Six rounds or so. Yeah, what a war. You know, you kind of wonder a little about Tommy Hearns. Could Ayala have upset Hearns? For the simple reason, Emmanuel Stewart didn't like those styles. Guys who could rough Hearns up, who would come at him with a fury like that. That's not a good style for Hearns. I could see, yeah, I could see that happen. I could see. I think he does the Hearns, uh, does the yellow, what he did to Duran. 
I just don't think Yellow could get anywhere near him just like Duran couldn't. And Hearns has a mean jab, a mean hook to the body. He's fast. Yellow's not going to outbox him, and he's going to have to go into his power. I like Hearns there. I mean, maybe Yellow could land a fluke shot and catch lightning in a bottle and knock him out, but I don't think so. And, and 154 may have been Tommy's best weight. Okay, what about my buddy, my friend, Iran Barkley at his best? Barkley, love punch outs going toe to toe. Barkley at his best. Against when the yellow? Crime. See, Barkley could box too. Barkley just wasn't a brawler. Barkley had a clue with what he was doing. Yeah. He was tough. You know, I might take Barkley in that fight, Jack, because he brings different tools to the game. You know, he can box, he can punch, he has a little bit of an inside game. He can't be intimidated. That would have been a good fight. I mean, 1983, Barkley wasn't, 83-84, Barkley wasn't no, quite I there yet. Yeah, would have beaten him in 83. Uh, heavyweights, uh, I, 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 I be a Bucci, okay? I'm not completely sold on him. The people say he would have been world heavyweight champion. He stopped Chris Bird, overpowered him, overpowered him one fight. The fight with two of you scored for two. I never saw that fight in its entirety. I you know I couldn't see it at the time, and I was watching certain of the rounds late on. But once I didn't see it live, I couldn't really score it. But by all accounts, it was a very close fight. And if you're a great fighter, you either get you either beat Tua decisively or you get knocked out by Tua. One of the two. There's no in between. You don't win a close decision over two if you. Jack, that was prime two, and they set a record for punches in that fight. There weren't many guys that were going to beat that two, and he did go Lennox hammer and thong with them. Lennox Lewis either would have been knocked out by two that night, or he would have beaten them the way he did late on decisively on points. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, I Jack, mean, when we, you want to talk about fresh? We're talking about guys that didn't hit their potential, and to me. The guy that always comes to mind is the guy we're talking about, David Tua. David Tua would was so frustrating to watch. If I said to you, here's a guy that is a genuine life taker with both hands. He is physically strong as a bear, and you can drop a car on him, and he won't feel it. You would say, there's the heavyweight champ of the world, the next heavyweight champ. I was ringside when he knocked out Ruiz in 19 seconds. I turned to my buddy and I said, there's the next heavyweight champ of the world. As I've mentioned on this show before, there have been four great swarmers in heavyweight history. Chronologically, Dempsey, Marciano, Frazier, and Tyson. Jack, I think Tua had the ability to be as good or better than all four. He was clearly stronger clearly a bigger puncher and he had a chin just as good if you could have put joe frazier's motor in david tua and teach him how to cut the ring off and slip the jab you would have had an unbeatable fighter great 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 boxing talk frank and wrapping up uh just the news came in errol spence is going to be fighting your ddas ugas in a welterweight unification fight, but we all want to see Spence Crawford, but I guess for reporting's sake, we'll say that. Frank, I had a blast talking boxing. Me too, Jack, and, and you guys is a good matchup for Spence. He works with him. Okay, see you next week. Happy New Year, everybody.